0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios in downtown Milwaukee, it's Wisconsin's Midday News, making stories come to life.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Greg Matzik and Jessica Tye. All right, well, enjoy the day here. Uh, radar looks pretty clean right now. Rain will be moving it eventually, and then snow, I don't know, hail, sleet, probably everything else ah. as we go 50 degrees from our high to our low today.
2: And it was so nice walking in the doors this morning. It was just beautiful. It felt like spring. Didn't it even kind of have just that little moist feeling? Well, it, was it like, did. Even the pavement. There was a little pavement sweat, like the dog's paws were, were wet this morning.
1: Exactly. I would wondered if it had sprinkled last night, and I missed it, but it was just sort of an atmospheric kind of thing yeah, that led the roads to be slick.
2: The atmosphere is like, what's going on right now in wisconsin
1: (laughs) a lot of people wondering that right now for a variety of reasons handful of stories that we are following here it's 11 10 and wtmj and now it's time for three big
0: things on wisconsin's midday news
2: number one president biden meeting with congressional leaders today in an emergency aid package for ukraine and israel as well as averting a looming government shutdown we're going to talk about that coming up more in a few minutes. But this is fresh off an appearance on the Seth, Seth Meyers late night talk
3: show. Can you confirm or deny that there is an active conspiracy between you and Miss Swift? Where are you getting this information? <laughs> it's classified. It's
1: classified. It's classified,
3: classified? You won't information. share it with us? I'm not gonna, but I will tell you, she did endorse me in 2020. She did? <laughs> I bet you, you might be wondering. You might be wondering. You think it might come
1: around again? I told you it's classified. <laughs> He had his black aviator sunglasses on sitting right. on the couch, right?
2: The Seth Meyer show, uh, too bright for him, apparently. I love that people actually think there's a conspiracy between the Biden administration and Taylor Swift. Oh, like, yeah. they don't each have enough going on. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, if you follow it, you do know where Taylor Swift lies on the political spectrum. But still, it's just like, no way is there a conspiracy well, going it, on there.
1: No doubt there is a concerted effort here for the Biden camp to reach younger voters, right? He's on Seth Meyers. Last week, he's stumping for his student loan forgiveness plan. And prior to that, despite the government viewing TikTok as a security risk... He's on TikTok. I, he launched it on Super Bowl Sunday, right? So there, there's a clear attempt here to try and gain the support of younger voters.
2: Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned Super Bowl, too, because, yes, he is going about getting his word out in a different way because you had in the past though more recently presidents are saying no to this but that was always a big thing before the Super Bowl you'd have the presidential interview well Biden said nope not doing that this year he really hasn't sat down for one-on-ones either with reporters and he's done fewer press conferences so this is another way to reach out to voters and to a younger demographic by the way a fun fact for you too, Greg they got some ice cream afterwards. <laughs> President Biden chose mint chip. I like that one. I'm giving that one a thumbs up. And Seth Meyers, honeycomb. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know honeycomb was a flavor. I, I, I didn't think know of the, either. I think of the cereal.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I do, too. It's
2: probably good. Sounds delicious. Number two.
1: Well, according to the IRS, tax refunds are higher this year as compared to 2023. You don't even know what a write-off is, do you? No, I
3: don't. <laughs> but they do. And they're the ones writing it off.
1: They are you and me, people finding their write-offs, boosting their bottom line here. So last year, uh, the average refund check was about 2% lower than this year. So this year, the average refund check sent out about 3200 bucks. That's slightly higher than the Matzik household, but we're on par with that.
2: <laughs> I know. You're all ready to go. See, I used to do my taxes right up until the deadline, but I'd always make them before the deadline. I always did them myself. Now my husband has taken over and he likes to file an extension. He has all these reasons why it's fine. And so last year I was like, you filed the extension, correct? You filed our taxes. I mean, to give up that power to have him do the taxes a little tough for me.
1: <laughs> that was big, huh?
2: It was. So I'm just like, you did this, right? I feel like I need to have him sign a little something. Yes, I did this. Yeah. I did this on the date. Okay, good. We're covered.
1: I like to do it early if I know we're getting a refund, and we typically do. It's just kind of how we manage things. So I like to get it done right away.
2: Well, I think this is. I mean, this is great news. Everybody likes to hear that you're getting a bigger refund this year. But it's even bigger news because it comes after last year when refunds were lower. Correct. Number three, packing up and getting ready to move. The Milwaukee Public Museum is starting the process today.
1: And WTMJ's Julian Johnson is in the bowels of the museum here with packing tape, boxes, and I assume a label maker. Julian, what is going on?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. There's actually a lot of uh, labels on every single piece of that's actually being moved uh, to this new museum. It's going to be the future museum. It's going to be close to the Pfizer Forum area. Right now, they're starting off with about 23,000 team ceramic pieces. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty meticulous move, and they have a lot of packaging that is also going to be reusable over the whole process of the move.
1: Julian, thank you. We've got a collection specialist, the move project expert here. Sarah Podeco is going to join us coming up a little later this hour. This is an unbelievable undertaking at it, the museum
2: it is massive i think right now it's 11 14 i think she's taking off those special gloves that you have to wear she's taking those off she's putting the box down she's jumping in the car and she's heading on over here to third street market hall ready yeah. to talk to us coming up at eleven
1: forty-six. yeah question one how do you move a t-rex we'll get into that coming up <laughs> it's 11 15 on wtmj government shutdown aid to ukraine and israel all these things are coming together here and what is the latest Will there be a government shutdown? Ike Jachi from ABC joins us after this. Craig and Jessica with you until 1 o'clock here at Wisconsin's Midday News. So less than four days to go until a key deadline to extend federal funding. Congress in the formal process of preparing for a partial government shutdown. High-level disagreements remain about aid to Ukraine and border security. It's all kind of come together here. Ike Jachi from ABC joins us Mike, this is all pointing at House Speaker Mike Johnson. He seems to be at the center of it all. How much pressure is the House Speaker under?
4: Immense pressure. Remember, he's been trying to meet with President Biden now for some time, and he hasn't been able to secure that one-on-one mission uh, meeting, rather. President Biden said what's there to talk about. So today, we're seeing him, along with three others, known as the Big Four, meeting with President Biden. That's uh, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Hakeem Jeffries, and of course, Speaker Mike Johnson. And this is all for President Biden trying to push forward his supplemental funding request to provide that wartime aid for Ukraine, Israel, and of course, funds for Taiwan. But we've seen House Speaker Mike Johnson literally reject a bipartisan border deal. We've seen him reject a standalone foreign aid bill out of the Senate. And he's been flip flopping on his reasons why. So it's very uh, apparent right now that this is all falling on the House Republicans with uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson at the spearhead. And this is just an attempt for President Biden to figure out a way forward. Uh, his administration says that he's done this in the past, back in January when he met with before, uh, before then. And they're hoping that they can have a similar outcome this time around.
2: What would be impacted this time if we do indeed have a partial government shutdown and specifically who? Because it's not just a lot of times you talk about the government workers who would be working without pay at the moment. But it's also just Jane and Paul down the road who could be impacted, too.
4: That's very true. You know, we're seeing right now, again, House Republicans trying to kick the uh, can down the road. But essentially, uh, we're seeing it starting to affect regular Americans. So a partial shutdown. Will begin affecting several agencies in the government, and uh, if they can't reach a deal by Friday night, and of course, this will turn into a full government shutdown if a deal isn't reached by March 8th. This could affect people's paychecks. Up to four million people can see without their pay uh, can really move forward without getting receiving their paychecks. Uh, a lot of services can be affected uh, simply that can have to even do with taxes. You know, tax time is coming up right now. We know those deadlines are in April. This can affect that in terms of when people can see their refunds or their returns. So, again, like you said, this can affect a lot of people, a lot of kitchen table issues, and really can show the impact of the House Republicans specifically in this 118th Congress. It can show the impact of their inability to really coalesce together and, and move forward with any kind of bill, legislation, or what have you. And like you said, it can really start to feel build. Jill and Bill down the road can really essentially start to field this.
1: We'll stay on it, no doubt about that. Less than four days to go until a key deadline here to extend federal funding. They've delayed it and they've pushed it off, perhaps another extension or perhaps a shutdown, partial or full. Ike Ajachi, ABC News. Thank you, Ike. Thank you. It's 1121 on WTMJ. Hey, the auto show is up and running. WTMJ is Wisconsin's afternoon news with John Mercure. will be live at the auto show on March 1st. All sorts of interesting tech incorporated into this year's crop of vehicles. Debbie Lanziga takes a look coming up next. We go on to Arizona at 11.37. Don Petronio covering the Brewers in spring training. They have another game today. It'll be on 94.5 ESPN. Meanwhile, the yearly auto show is off and running. A great way for folks to see what is new, what manufacturers are offering, without the pressure of sales. Debbie Lozga visited the show to see what's up.
5: Every year, we get a new batch of brand new, some concept, some way out there, cars all at the Milwaukee International Auto Show. This year's no different, but I wanted to get a closer look at some of the new technology trends we may be seeing in the near future. Senior Editor at Auto Trader Jason Fogelson says there's all sorts of new technology integrating with cars now, and some of the most impressive have to do with driver safety.
6: That is one of the main reasons to look at a new car over an older car. Uh, It's because safety features get more and more ingrained in vehicles and become more common
5: protecting you from the outside world to watching how you're driving your car it's all becoming part of the driving experience
6: my favorite safety feature is forward emergency braking and what this does it uses a sensor in the front of the car to detect obstacles in your path and if you don't brake in time the car will break for you and it may not help you avoid an accident but it'll certainly lower your speed and mitigate that even if you aren't paying close enough attention, your car can help save you.
5: Sales associate at our partners at Hall, Mazda and Brookfield, Brandon Schimitz says Mazda is starting to introduce another feature.
0: It'll have unresponsive driver support if it recognizes that you are deviating lanes, you know, or things like that just due to, like, say, a heart attack. It'll bring the vehicle to a stop and it'll turn the vehicle off, turn on your hazards and call the EMS for you so you get the proper care.
5: So you can rest easy knowing that if anything happens, your car's got your back. Driving a car nowadays is more than just sitting and waiting until you get to your destination. It can also be a productive time, as long as you're being safe about it. AI is jumping into the arena with this.
3: It'll allow you
0: to integrate your smartphones seamlessly, devices, iPads, etc. You can order things from a shopping list while you're driving. If you forget something and need a reminder when you get home,
6: you can do all that kind of stuff too.
5: And it goes beyond just updating your grocery list. How about getting around? Fogelson says it should be seamless.
6: You're already seeing it happen. Uh, there's Google AI in some vehicles now, and it can do things like predict where you're headed based on where you've been before. So your navigation system becomes a partner with you in where you want to go. Um, there, there are a lot of uh, intersections between tech companies and car companies. Uh, we're going to see that more and more and more. And you know, your handheld device, your smartphone, uh, becomes part of the experience of driving your car
5: a little creepy if it guesses where you're headed but it's kind of cool too rest assured there'll be plenty more bells and whistles where that came from tune in tomorrow for part two where i go over the latest in ev technology Debbie got WTMJ News.
1: Yeah, a lot of EVs, a lot of everything. I like the auto show. I think it's fun. My kids like it. They kind of run around. They hop in and out of the vehicle. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a good time.
5: Well, you can go to the
2: classic cars. You can go to a, a new one where you open the door and the logo's there lit up at the bottom. Kids have a blast with that. And so do adults. It's a good time, especially if you're looking for a new car, just to see what's out there. But I love the fact that now, with all this new technology, you can basically say to your car, like, find me the best Taco Tuesday deal in all of southeastern Wisconsin tonight. Then send a text to my husband to tell him to go there and get me the directions to take me there. It's wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, we've got Amazon Alexa kind of enabled in my wife's vehicle, which is kind of cool. But at some point, this is all going to be AI generated stuff, right? And, and the car is kind of already doing that for you now if you have a newer model. But it's only going to be enhanced, whether it's better or worse. To be debated, but it's going to be enhanced.
2: Still waiting on that Jetson's flying car, though. And we're
1: not far off. We are not <laughs> far off from that, no doubt. It's 1127 on WTMJ. We've got headlines coming up in just a moment. Brewers baseball on the air today. 94.5 ESPN, an exclusive broadcast. Check it out today beginning at 2 o'clock. Brewers lose yesterday. Cactus League play continues. Dom Catronio is covering the Brewers in Arizona this week. Hello, Dom.
3: Hello, Greg. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. I, are we experiencing Arizona-type temperatures today? The weather last year, I remember, was kind of crummy for spring training. Seems like it's off to a better start here. And the, and the players take notice of that. It makes a difference.
3: We are sitting in sunshine. It is uh, The high today is 76. So you guys are certainly... We're right on our heels right now. And, yeah, I think last year's was an anomaly. I I was telling you, and I've told a lot of folks, like, I I grew up here. This is where I'm from. I can never remember a spring training where I wore a layer, like, every single day at spring training. It never warmed up last year. Uh, It's going to be 80 uh, by the end of the week here. So a little different story this year.
2: Ooh, that sounds nice. Dom, I hear there was an all-time media session with Murph today. What happened?
3: Oh, my goodness. What a day. Uh, So – for for context here just last week you know obviously Pat Murphy's background is Notre Dame and that's one of his first major coaching stops in his uh, journey to the Brewers and while he was at Notre Dame was uh, some guy named Rudy Rudinger you know of course he was there when the real Rudy was there and they struck up a friendship when he was a 28 year old head coach at Notre Dame and they've remained friends to this day, and we had always been joking with them about it, you know, since that came up randomly in last week's media session. And last night, lo and behold, just scanning the channels on cable, Rudy was on TV, and as a joke, Todd Rosiak of the Milwaukee General Sentinel and Mike Vasalo, of course, the PR man of these brewers, just said, Hey, by the way, no, it was on last night. It was, Mur- it was uh, Rudy. And Murph's like, all right, all right, fine, enough, enough, enough. And he pulls up his phone pulls up FaceTime, and he FaceTimes Rudy Rudinger for us. So we sat there and chatted with Rudy for about 10, 15 minutes in the media session today.
1: Awesome. That's incredible, right? You never know what's going to happen, right? Sometimes there's two people in those media scrums. Sometimes there's like 15, kind of depending on the week. But those, to me, were always the most fun. It was always interesting to hear true perspective in a relaxed setting. I thought it was interesting. Pat Murphy was talking about leadership the other day. And I'll typically get a young team, and maybe you look to those veteran leaders. He had a different spin on it, Dom, that I thought was really interesting.
3: Yeah, I asked him about this yesterday. And just, it was, you know, he's talked plenty about Reese and about Willie and about Yelly and about Freddie. But what can those guys learn from Sal or Churio? or Gasser, or Uribe, you know, all these young stars. There is a serious blend on this roster right now, and I really, the the way he took off with it is that the veterans have to learn from the young guys, because there's still this, there's no sour grapes. There's no, you know, "Ah, I'm, I'm too good for this. I'm in the big leagues for six, seven years. I've got it made. No, no, these guys are still fighting for their lives. There's still love of the game in there. That's what this bleep is all about, and he was really impassioned about it. And I think that's His calling card, Murphy's calling card, is the fact that he's a master motivator. Obviously, college baseball and Major League Baseball are very, very different. But yet, as a leader, I think his style is going to be pretty similar.
2: Okay, speaking of love for the game, you know who else has love for the game? The fans. And spring training has really become a popular destination for whether it's families or couples or just, hey, some buddies to go and take a trip. I know it's early right now, but what are you seeing with the crowds?
3: I, I think the crowds are going to get bigger and bigger. Now, midweek games are always tough. So, like, yesterday's, you know, it's a midweek game. It's tough. But as we approach, like, the traditional spring training, or uh, rather spring break weeks, you know, coming up, like, first, second, third week of March, sure, that's yeah. when we'll start to see that midweek attendance really start to pop off. And, of course, tomorrow the Cubs are in town, so they're going to bring their fans out here just like it is at AmFam. But it is what it is, you know. I, I recommend it to everybody. If you're going to pick either Grapefruit League or Cactus League, choose the Cactus League. Because you can get to every single ballpark within an hour if you pick something central like Phoenix as your home base, which is where the Brewers are here. So it's, it's such an easy place to get around. You can see everyone you want. The access is fantastic. The backfields, you can learn so much. Uh, it, it is sun shining. I, I can't complain about it at all.
1: Are you headed out to Tempe to watch uh, the Brewers take on the Angels today?
3: We will watch and we'll see Jansen Junk on the mound against his former team. And you know, yes, I talked about Rudy in the you know session today with Pat Murphy, but he waxed quite a bit about how much he likes Jansen Junk and don't sleep on him being a candidate for this rotation.
1: Looking forward to it, Dom. We'll check in tomorrow. We'll be uh, mentally preparing for a Brewers Cubs matchup and, uh, of course, uh, the, the the bitterness. I've seen Craig Council in a Cubs oh, uniform. Gosh.
4: I'm sure all the It is going to be sure It's going to be strange. It's going Okay. It's 1142.
1: Okay. Don, we'll check it again tomorrow. Thanks, pal. Thanks, guys. Well, a big day here in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee Public Museum. Boy, you want to talk about an undertaking. The new museum doesn't open until 2027, but already they are starting to get stuff organized, get stuff boxed up. I don't know how you begin to even do this.
2: We're going to find out. We
1: will find out soon. It's 1142
2: packing up and moving out it's tough enough when it's just your house right the team at the milwaukee public museum is taking on the monumental task of carefully packing its collection so everything is set when that new museum is built the project manager of the big move sarah podako joins us live in the studio sarah i was wondering did you just like take off those special gloves, put the box down, and drive over here for us? Uh, yeah, a bit. We were packing right up until um, I left to come here, so... So first things first, is MPM Granny, she's coming along, right? We can't leave we can't leave Granny behind.
7: Oh, absolutely, she's coming. Yes.
2: <laughs> so Granny, I, I remember Granny from back in the day as a kid going to the museum. She's in the streets of old Milwaukee and she's just one of the the fantastic things you've got the the T-Rex as well, you've got the snake button, all of these favorites for people.
7: Are those three, are they all coming along? I believe so. Yes, they are. Um, Madeline would you be able to speak a bit more to that. Those three those three elements that you touched on, they will be in the new museum in different ways.
1: Okay, so here's the fascinating part to me. Because when I hear moving, I think label makers, I think, you know, boxes that, you know, the bottom falls out. You, you write with a Sharpie. Like, Do you have a box that just says bones on it? And then it's like, okay, well, that's the T-Rex. There's, there's the head. <laughs> it, like, how do you keep all this stuff organized and together and inventoried?
7: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the first step. So there's a lot of things that we do before we even start packing. Um, and one of the first steps we do is inventory. So we take all of these paper records that we have, and we make sure that we have digital records of all of our objects. Um, and then we barcode our objects, similar to what you see in a grocery uh, supermarket. Sure. Um, so it's not going to be directly on the object. We attach it with a drop tag. But this lets us track. All of our objects, wherever they go in the process, we'll know exactly what crate they're in. We'll know exactly where in the crate they are. We'll know what truck they're on. We'll know where they are at the new museum. Um, Really helping us keep track of what we have.
2: So what's getting packed up in round one? And and how many people does this take? How much time does this take? Because there's so much to do before you even actually move.
7: Yes, there is so much. Um, So it's going to take a lot of time. Um, and so because of that, um, we're starting with the uh, glass and ceramic collection in our history department. Um, it consists of about 23,000 items. got to so be careful with that glass. You do, yes. Um, but uh, just simply because of the way we handle all of our museum objects, whether it's glass or whether it's a pillow from the 1950s, um, we're going to handle it the same way, and that being very careful. Um, so, um, yeah, being very careful with the fragility of the pieces, um, and that we have a really great team of packers and move techs and inventory folk that are helping us out. Um, so it's going to take a lot of people, a lot of time, a lot of supplies, but um, it's definitely uh, something that we're excited to start.
1: So you don't just hire two men in a truck or college hunks or whatever, like <laughs> yeah. they just come in at their <laughs> trucks and just slowly but surely handle it?
7: No. Um, so I'm really excited about the type of people we get to hire for this position. A lot of um, who are applying for these positions are new grads out of museum studies programs. Oh, nice. um, so it, maybe it's their first job or, you know, right out of school. So it, it's really rewarding to be able to give um, a lot of um, new folks to the career some experience and, um, you know, great, great work to do. When
2: you're talking about all that glass, I just think if you're packing up your house and you're putting away the glasses, you're wrapping them and the plates and you're making sure that everything is okay. I mean, do you use something special to do that?
7: Yeah, we do. Um, So there's um, kind of we call it just generally archival material. And what that means, it means. It's usually um, not dyed, so um, it's acid-free. There's no dyes. um, It's chemically inert. It means it's not going to react with other material types. Um, So there's a whole laundry list of materials that we can use with our um, objects that are safe. Um, And so that's what we're doing with these. Um, The glass and ceramics, one of the major things we have to worry about is its its fragility. So um, we're making sure there's a lot of padding. There's a lot of tissue and foam that's really going to make sure everything is nice and safe. Um, and then the, the great part about this is that we are planning on reusing as many of our materials as we can. Sustainability is a big point to this process. Great. Um, so we wrap something up in foam, and when it gets unwrapped, we're going to reuse that foam, or reuse that tissue, and things like that.
1: So will phase one just go right into phase two, or is this 23,000 glass ceramic items kind of your, your task for the rest of the week, and then we'll worry about the next stuff later? Like, what's the timing of all this?
7: Yeah, so this is our first sort of jump off for packing. This is really our prototype to see what our process looks like, to see what our numbers for packing look like. Um, But as um, this process is going on, we are starting to move processes in many other departments as well. We're we're starting to hire for those inventory positions to really get those collections up for packing as well. So starting now with just one collection, but within the next few months we're going to have lots of departments moving. Interchangeably.
2: I mean it ultimately it's gonna take years to pack all of this up, correct?
7: Yes. We mentioned
2: the T Rex. How do you even go about disassembling <laughs> <What>? that <laughs> Somebody and then take packing it up and then putting it back together? Yeah.
7: Well luckily when it comes to like our large um articulated um Paleo uh, material. Um, Luckily, there are people that do this for a living. Um, They articulate these specimens and dearticulate them. So, we would likely partner with someone who would be able to tell us where those weak points are, how to stabilize it. Um, And then we would talk about, like, do we move it on a pallet with a sling and, you know, all of those types of details. So, getting the right people on the team is
1: important. Don't you just have to, like, label it like L1, L2, right? Like you're putting together a bookcase or something like that? Yeah, rib nine. (laughs) Right, That
7: is what you do, yeah, when you ship parts like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. And each one will have a barcode.
1: (laughs) Well, that's important, too.
7: If we were taking TAS, I'm giving you the
2: T-Rex, I'm taking Granny. Granny seems a lot lot easier to move.
1: Yeah, right. Like the snake button, fine. Put it in a box, it'll make it. (laughs) T-Rex might want to be a little more careful with that one.
2: Well, when you talk about all the little things, too, I know you mentioned, you know, just being careful about packing things up, but also preservation. I mean, that that's key even inside of the museum, which I know is a big reason why you guys are moving, too, to get into a, a, a safe spot, so to speak, for all of the collections. But uh, how do you preserve it when it's packed away? Because I know I've always liked to... Newspaper clippings from back in the day in college. I mean, I have a lot of those, and I put them in scrapbooks. And at some point, you know, the pages start to turn yellow, or the newspaper clippings get a little crimpy. Yeah, Preserving is a big part of this, too.
7: It is, and that's um, the main reason we're starting with the collection that we are. So glass and ceramic collections are what we call inorganic material. That's going to be ceramics and glass and rocks and metal and things like that they tend to be less reactive to some of those environmental stressors that something like newspaper is very, very reactive to environmental stressors. So we can pack these things up and know that they're going to be safe and sound in their crates while we figure out um, the new museum, Um, and they're not going to be as reactive as some of those organic materials.
1: Sarah and Madeline, thank you guys so much for coming in. You've earned lunch, by the way, When we're right in the market hall, so grab anything you'd like. Great, thank yeah, you, you. You've earned it, right? I wonder what the catering <laughs> budget like, is, right? Are you right? paying for this? I
2: like lunch with Greg. Do, do you
1: do Chinese food? Do you do subs? Like, I'm just wondering what they're doing over there. You got to eat.
7: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, do, um, we do a lot of pizza, a lot of okay. donuts. And, yeah.
1: Okay. And <laughs> a lot with of coffee, that. right? And a
7: lot of coffee, of course. <laughs>
1: really good stuff. Thank you guys for coming in. Good luck the rest of the way, and then we'll check in from time to time.
7: Great. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. You bet. It's
1: 1154 on WTMJ. So my nine-year-old is really into Harry Potter right now. She is on book number four, and our rhythm is that when she finishes the book, then we watch the movie together oh, as a family. that's
2: great. I love that tradition.
1: Uh, and my wife and I had not seen any of the movies. I was uh, I'm oh, I I was way out on the Harry Potter thing. I don't know why, just a never my deal. She got introduced to it and absolutely loves it. I'm going to share this story with her at home tonight. So overseas, the first edition Harry Potter novel. That was bought for 17 cents almost 30 years ago. Oh, wow. How much is it now? Has just fetched slightly more than that at an auction. CBS's Vicki Barker has the story from London.
5: It's an uncorrected proof copy of the very first Harry Potter book. Author J.K. Rowling's name is incorrectly written as J.A. Rowling in the first few pages. You're a wizard, Harry. Uh, I'm a what? The seller has asked to remain anonymous, but she says as a cash-strapped 26-year-old back in 1997, she liked to haunt second-hand bookstores. She paid a total of 50 cents for the Harry Potter and two other books at a place in South London. It just sold at auction for $14,000. Vicky. Barker, CBS News, London. Unbelievable, Ooh.
1: seven. That's a pretty good return on your investment, wouldn't you I say? I think
2: so. I was just happy when you returned your books in college. You know, you had to buy them for like two hundred dollars, and you got fifteen dollars back. You're
1: like, <laughs> yeah. well, it's something. <laughs> what a, it. what, but I needed the anatomy <laughs> book. God dang it, that was so expensive. It's eleven fifty-eight on WTMJ Business Headlines and Top of the Hour Headlines. After this. Negotiations accelerate for labor union contracts at Harley-Davidson in Menominee Falls and Tomahawk. They expire at the end of March and impact about 1,100 steel workers and machinists. Generac Power Systems cuts 900 jobs the past year through attrition as the company slows production to reduce inventory. Hiring set to resume this spring in Whitewater and Jefferson. More Collectivo Coffee for Chicagoland. The Milwaukee Roaster looks at new locations later this year and early next year in Ravenswood and Southport. That goes with five existing shops in Chi Town. I'm Rich Kirchen with MilwaukeeBusinessJournal.com on
3: News Radio WTMJ. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios in downtown Milwaukee, it's Wisconsin's Midday
1: News, making stories come to life. Now, here are your hosts,
4: Greg Matzik and Jessica Ty.
1: Welcome in. It's Tuesday afternoon on WTMJ. Greg and Jessica with you until 1 o'clock. We've got Brewers Baseball at 2 o'clock. Enjoying the last of our warm weather here for the next, uh, I don't know, 16 hours maybe or so.
2: Until winter comes roaring back. Though, I don't know. You know, it was never really roaring this season.
1: No, it really wasn't. And for some, that was great. Uh, Warmer weather, great. But certainly to the northern part of our state, all those who are in the snowmobile, the winter sports industry, it's been a very challenging winter. The Berkebeiner able to get off, as we talked about last week, but they had some severe modifications to it. But thankfully, still, 13,000-plus made their way to Hayward, Wisconsin, for a a massive event that you you can't picture a Wisconsin winter without the Berkebeiner. So glad that I was able to to make something out of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly Mother Nature not helping with the lack of snow for the Berkey this year, but they got creative to make it happen. It wasn't the Bikini Berkey that happened back in 1981. (laughs) Nobody was out there in uh, bikinis this year. But you know what? Don't put it past people. Today, when it was so nice, there might have been somebody out there.
1: Convertible tops down on vehicles, I can only imagine today. handful of stories we're following here this afternoon. Now at noon on Wisconsin's Midday News. So President Biden meeting with congressional leaders as they face a Friday deadline to pass a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. This is being covered by all angles, including ABC News senior congressional correspondent Rachel Scott. She's on Capitol Hill. The
5: new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, will be absolutely critical during these negotiations. He is facing growing pressure from the right of his party to use this as an opportunity to pass conservative policy wins on immigration and abortion. And while much of the focus in that room today is expected to be on how to avert this government shutdown we are told that the president will also likely make another case to provide additional aid to both israel and ukraine the senate has already passed a bill to do that it has gone nowhere in the house
1: and johnson says they are quote working in good faith around the clock to avoid a shutdown
5: now at noon as well
2: health and human services secretary is in huntsville alabama today following the court's ruling on frozen embryos this was a big ruling we broke it to you last week 11 days ago when the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are actual people, so basically children, three of the major providers in the state have still paused IVF treatments. There are a lot of questions about the future of IVF treatments, not only in Alabama, but for other states as well. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze is in Huntsville.
5: One provider here tells us that one-fifth of its patients typically have their embryos discarded because they're just not viable or they cannot be used. So what this means for families is that they still do not have desperately needed answers about their fertility plans.
1: And finally, a merger between two of the biggest and largest supermarket chains has hit a roadblock here. The FTC is suing to block the $25 billion merger between Kroger and Albertsons. The reason they're doing this Jessica, is because they don't want any sense of a monopoly being formed with two of the largest grocery store chains in America that would likely drive prices even higher than they already are, which is about, I don't know, 25% more than you're used to paying at the grocery store.
2: I mean, if the two were to team up, this would make the largest supermarket merger in U.S. history. So it's big. But exactly what you said, if there's a possibility to drive up costs... The government's like, we don't want to do that to people. And let's be honest, if you're driving around in the car right now and you're listening to this, you're like, no, please, no. Remember, grocery prices. Many Americans we know right now spending much more on their groceries. No surprise, right? Spending more than we ever have over the past 30 years. It's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Food prices still much higher than they were before the pandemic. Fresh veggies, that's always the toughest spot. Any any fresh produce you're gonna pay more for, but tomatoes apparently costing almost five percent more than they did just in January. Up four point six percent. Last week it was, we brought you Greg, I think you were you were still in the, the sunny, sunny skies of Florida at that time. But On the bright side, things could be worse because last week we told you that Wisconsinites spend the least of any state on weekly groceries. And that really surprised me.
1: So we're going to do a deeper dive into that because there are two categories in which Wisconsin, the average, the percentage of the grocery bill is less than the national average. And there's a couple categories, you might be able to think of them off the top of your head, that far exceed the national average. Beer. That's one. Milk. Dairies are the other. Well done, <laughs> Jessica. Like a true Wisconsinite, very well done. Uh, but
2: we want to go to the grocery store tonight too. We
1: want to take a deeper dive into this. You know, what do we spend in our household? What does the average consumer spend? Where are the most and least expensive states for grocery shopping? It's kind of a thing, right? Last year it was eggs. Now it's tomatoes for some reason, right? Who knows what's going to, you know, affect the the cost of what you spend at the store. But it's gone up. There's no doubt about that. We'll dive in a little deeper a little later this hour. Have you ever heard of the Rapid Intervention Team? Did you know that the Milwaukee Fire Department has one? Well, what is it? Chief Aaron Lipsky joins us in studio after this on WTMJ.
2: Breaks out, it's a firefighter's job to run inside and rescue the victims. But sometimes those in need of rescue are their own. There's actually a group of firefighters on standby at the scene to rescue other firefighters who get hurt, trapped, or lost. In Milwaukee, the members of that team go through special training. It is not easy and it is not cheap either. Milwaukee Fire Chief Aaron Lipsky joins us live in the studio to talk about the rapid intervention team and how you can help. This is one of those things, Chief. I just saw one little line somewhere that said, we're raising money for the Rapid Intervention Team. And I thought, okay, what exactly is the Rapid Intervention Team? Why is it so important, and why are they raising money? Let's get into this. You send firefighters across state lines to get this training. What situations are they being put into, and why is it so important?
0: Uh, Thank you, Jessica, for having me. Thank you, Greg, for having me. The Rapid Intervention Team concept is not... Quite yet in its infancy in the fire service, but it is. It, let's put it this way: it is growing in popularity and certainly growing in need as building construction styles change. So, what we are sending our firefighters to learn how to do uh, is to function uh, at with with tremendous physical exertion for many of these scenarios, but under live fire conditions, uh, under extreme duress. It is a week long, immersive experience that we send these firefighters to. Uh, That includes collapse rescue, forcible entry problems, breaking in or out of spaces of all different types of construction, um, and packaging patients, freeing patients from entanglement and entrapment, all under live fire conditions. Uh, It is, I I attended this training about, whatever, a long time ago.
2: Well, you were one of the first couple classes.
0: I I think I was in the second class, and... uh, it's it's the finest training I've ever received in my career, and I'm a I'm a learner. I go to a lot of training. This training is second to none. That's why we, we found it so important to keep sending our members.
1: So how different is it, Chief Lipsky, than the standard training that a firefighter might go through?
0: Uh, it is exceptionally different. There's a lot of restrictions when you're doing live fire training for trainee and trainer safety, of course. Uh, you don't want to take it too far and injure somebody in training or, or worse. Uh, so this training is so tightly controlled and there is such a close ratio of instructors to students um, that the differences would include the the amount and the duration of the heat it more closely mimics real firefighting training fires in general it's a a sample of what it might be but you can't really replicate it safely so this training gets you closer with that sustained and that that depth of heat Uh, but it also uh, being a week long program and you're, these are 10 or 12 hour days and you are working, working, working from the minute you get there to the minute you leave in the afternoon. And that on the third or fourth day has a cumulative effect on, on your, your muscle fatigue, your psychiatric fatigue, your ability to absorb new factors. And that is exactly those final two days is where you really, really accelerate the learning mm. and you push past that discomfort, which is, it's very hard to replicate without the the first few days of buildup.
2: Take us back to nineteen ninety four because there was a fire that prompted the Milwaukee Fire Department to really start embracing this line of thinking, having a team to, to go in there and do rescues.
0: Yeah, uh, sadly that was that was our last on scene line of duty death at a, at a fire. That that was uh, firefighter Lionel Hoffer. He was he was a mountain of a man, uh, exceptional firefighter, uh, and and went through flooring on the second floor level apartments over a storefront uh, the the flooring had burned away uh, he, he was hanging in the hole and uh, they were not able to maintain their grasp his, his company members and he slipped through down into the hole and it took a very long time to get into that very very reinforced protected storefront on the first floor and uh, sadly he he uh, is, is on our memorial wall now uh, and that that prompted a different look, a harder look at, it's already hazardous enough. What we do just by its definition is hazardous, but how can we, we call it softening a structure. How do we soften a structure? So that rapid intervention team also is learning uh, and is practicing now, when we get to an actual fire, uh, they start softening that building. And that can include evaluating entries and exits, forcing those things open in advance, pre-staging ladders, pre-staging the necessary rescue equipment for if that horrible call comes. Because when that mayday call goes out and you are having trouble contacting or locating your firefighters, it's the scariest uh, scariest moment of time for everybody, nobody more so than the people who are trapped.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting, too, when you think about it, because this rapid intervention team, I mean, what would you say, like 98% of the time they're not needed? But that, that 2%, I mean, that's that could be life or death. That's the critical element of this
0: very well put uh this this is a a group of firefighters that stands by so to speak at the fire scene and by design they're not forward deployed inside with hose lines putting fire out or or, you know cutting holes in the roof they are standing by they gather their equipment they do exterior softening uh but when that two percent occurs you will never be able to catch up with that necessary time. And you literally are down to a game of minutes or seconds. If you have a firefighter trapped inside of a collapsing, burning building and to have that team ready is of such importance that we dedicate a team to just stand there and do it.
1: And are they able to communicate, right? I and mean, this it's chaos inside the house, right? Billowing smoke, fires, flames, the rescue effort is on. You've got a group standing by ready to break in. How do they know when to, to press the button and, and go? So, uh, Every one of our firefighters,
0: and this was not this way when I was first on the job, but now every one of our firefighters has their own radio. Uh, We, uh, across Milwaukee County, all the fire departments in Milwaukee County function as a unit now, and we all understand how we're going to break down our radio communications. That typically would occur when a mayday call went out from either the trapped member or people observing a collapse from somewhere else remote. They would transmit that mayday and that, battalion chief or deputy chief out in front of that burning building would deploy that RIT team. It's, it's a very, very intentional, deliberate thing to deploy that team.
2: Not every fire department, every fire department around the country has some type of training, but not every fire department does this training. And and there's a reason for that. I mean, it's expensive. Were your guys paying for this on their own initially?
0: Yeah, for a very long time, uh, the, the the training was, was being covered by the members, including their 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 travel their their hotel rooms while they're down there there's not a dorm thing uh and so the members were covering that uh we're we're grateful Uh, the city does have a tuition reimbursement program that covered part of it but not all of it uh and and as time has worn on those classes get more expensive uh so now uh we we're we're starting to transition to a model that is a little more flexible for the firefighters to be able to go without paying out of their own pocket
2: so how do people help? If somebody's listening right now saying, man, you know, this is something that I would really like to be a part of. I want to help these men and women get to this critical training.
0: Yep. Uh, we've, we've, we've been shocked at the outpouring of support from the Milwaukee and surrounding community, particularly the business community. Um, and if, if I can be so bold as to highlight one of our key partners in this, which is the House of Harley, uh, the owner and, and his second-in-command, started uh, the Gratitude Foundation. And that and that foundation uh, has been very very aggressively raising funds and holding those funds and then that's how that's how we've paid for the past two full classes to go down oh nice for this training uh, it's it's been a sea change because we're not having to come up out of thin air with thirty or forty thousand dollars it's very expensive training it's they, they have a lot of very highly skilled instructors who are Giving their time to teach our firefighters uh, but uh, I just I, I can't say enough about uh, the fact that the House of Harley stepped forward and that that they've created this gratitude foundation and that they've they're not just you know one and done and they move along they have been very very consistent supporters of all public safety but we're, we're certainly happy that they're supportive of us.
1: Well, thank you for shedding light on this. This is amazing. This is incredible and just so many challenges when you're putting out a fire. You forget about sometimes the challenges that the firefighters experience on their own.
2: Without a doubt, Chief, I know we're running out of time here, but I have to ask you because I'm on a different topic. Milwaukee Fire Department today detailed changes to how you respond to medical calls. Uh, that was before the Common Council early this morning. What is the new policy? What is different?
0: So uh, what is different is uh, we have articulated something that for a very long time was sort of taken for granted, uh, but that was laid bare as as a gap. Uh, we will now, when we cannot with 100% certainty visually clear an area, we're going to put ourselves in a position to do so, up to and including mandating getting out of the vehicle and, and scoping that area out, putting yourself in a position to be 100% certain.
2: And this is in the wake of the woman who died when she fell in ice near the bus stop and first responders weren't able to find her. Did you actually work with the woman's family to create your new policy?
0: So we we had a, um, and I I don't want to betray confidences here, but yes, we sat down with uh, one of her daughters and had a very, very lengthy conversation walking through. um, First off, what happened so that she can find some closure, her family can find some closure, but also... Um, what what does she want? Because a lot of people are representing what they want, but what does she want? And and we're confident. Uh, thus far, we've landed on, on on meeting that.
1: We appreciate what you do to help keep our city and our people safe within the city. It is Fire Chief Aaron Lipsky joining us in the studio. We always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Twelve twenty seven on WTMJ. So we touched on this at the top of the hour. The grocery store costs are kind of out of control these days. we got some numbers to sort of back it up, but one of the big stories here is The blocking of a merger between Kroger and Albertsons.
5: A merger between two of the largest supermarket chains has hit a roadblock. The Federal Trade Commission is suing to block the merger between Kroger and Albertsons. The FTC claims a merger will eliminate competition and drive prices even higher. In the meantime, customers looking to save are increasingly turning to store label brands.
1: All right, there's some store label brands that I am just fine with, and there are some that I just, I can't.
2: Which ones? That's what I need to know. Like,
1: if it's not Hidden Valley Ranch, I'm not buying it. If it's not Heinz Ketchup, I'm not buying it. And the mac and cheese better be Kraft and occasionally Velveeta. I can't go store brand with those three specifically. Otherwise, the Meyer brand, the Kirkland brand, I'm good. Fine.
2: My husband really got me on to generics because I used to be not necessarily all about the brand name. It wasn't that I necessarily cared, but I guess I just had this feeling like it's got to be better, right? You got to be paying a little bit more because it's better. And that's not always the case because I definitely, on his suggestion, have moved more towards the generics. And now, especially like pasta I mean, if you're going yeah, to the grocery the store and there's there's 11 different pastas to pick from, sure, I'll go and get the cheapest one. And honestly, as well, because grocery prices are so high, and I started to do this more during the pandemic when you just had a little bit more time um a lot of people did just you know at home i started to clip coupons which is wild because i i used to think i don't have any time for that and now sometimes i, I think that again but it can help it can be a major difference saver i love at the end when it rolls up and it's like ding 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 ding, 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 ding. and then all of a sudden it says you saved you know 28 dollars today I, I full disclosure i typically go to the metro market downtown it's just close it's more about convenience than anything and so if you combine the savings that they have sometimes just weekly deals along with the coupons it can make a major difference
1: okay so you've become a shopper more so than a buyer and there's a big difference right the buyer just grabs right whatever he or she or whatever they want just get it okay uh you got a family of four like we do i'm a little more of a shopper than i'm a buyer and i like grocery shopping so you the, do. I, I do. I really like I love to cook, too. I was so. going to
2: say, you, yeah, you love to cook. So it, they, that kind of makes sense.
1: Kind of goes hand in you hand. You want to
2: pick out the tomatoes you're buying. I do. Make sure they're good. Oh, gosh, sometimes I do that way too much with the produce. I mean, I'm <laughs> like that guy behind me is probably like, okay, lady, let's speed this up. That lime is just fine.
1: So the average American family spends about $270 a week on groceries, and it grows to 331 a week if you have a family of four. So, use that as sort of your backdrop in analyzing your own costs. But what we found here, and you guys touched on this last week, Wisconsin is among the more value conscious shoppers. Because I'm sure that number could be driven up based upon your spending habits and what you're looking to buy. But as a state, Wisconsin is among the cheapest, they spend the least on any state. Yeah, on groceries
2: that, that surprised me I, I mean i was just looking at my most recent in-store purchase i've got the receipt here it's 124 dollars and i didn't even go with you know having a meal plan for all five days this was more of, and maybe that was maybe that was the reason why too sure. i was like hey i, I got to get a couple meals just real quick off the top of my head but i mean that's not chump change right there it gets expensive you're looking at chips a bag of chip these days six bucks I mean, we used to pay, I love the El Rey chips, the local chips here that are so fantastical, oh, and then if you get the lemon ones with a little flavor, extra flavor, those are so good. And I used to like to pay more for those because I'm like, it's local and they're so yummy. But now you can't even get a bag of Tostitos yeah, right. for that price sometimes.
1: Spending $2 on air in the bag. So Wisconsinites spend about 11% of their grocery bill on dairy. The national average is 7.1%. They spend about 2.5%, we'll call it 2.8%, on beer. The national average is 2.1%. Wisconsin is below the national average in only two categories, fish and seafood, not a surprise, and prescriptions.
2: Yeah, the prescriptions, that one surprised me. Going to
1: Walgreens or CVS instead of Metro Market or, or wherever. So the most expensive states for grocery shopping, can you guess some? You want to guess some? There's a top ten list.
2: New York, California.
1: California is number one. New York is not even in the top ten, which I find interesting. Nevada is number two. Mississippi is number three, which I would not have expected. Washington is number four. Florida is number five. So the top end of the spectrum is California, $297.00. Uh, The average is about $270. Wisconsin comes in at $221.
7: I
2: wonder if New York is not up there because I just automatically thought New York would be in the top three or so uh, just because it's expensive out there. But maybe it's because a lot of people, you're you're not going, it's not like you're taking your car. Like here, a lot of times we take the car to go to the grocery store and we, we just buy a bunch of stuff. We kind of bulk up there a lot of times you don't even have a car yeah you're just you're
1: probably there every day
2: yeah maybe you're walking to the corner market and you're not buying as much that could be where that falls
1: into place most expensive city is miami where you'll spend 327 dollars and 89 cents a week and you're probably buying a lot of seafood a week on groceries anything with an island right in florida (laughs) or hawaii there's definitely an upcharge for that scarcity of product difficulty in getting the products to that location there's another twist on it if you don't buy your groceries at the grocery store and you tend to eat out a lot wendy's is doing something
2: this is wild that
1: may catch on i'm kind of hoping it doesn't we'll explain after this Craig and jessica with you it's wisconsin's midday news until one o'clock so it's a strategy commonly linked to ride sharing services Or tickets to concerts or sporting events, and now it's coming to fast food.
5: Wendy's will soon test a plan to fluctuate its menu prices based on the time of day, the location, and demand, similar to the surge pricing used by ride sharing companies raising fares during bad weather or rush hour. Wendy's
4: Baconator.
5: That Baconator sandwich could cost a dollar more during your lunch hour.
1: Yeah, you want to get a frosty at lunch hour? You might want to go at 10 o'clock instead. It might be cheaper. That's what I was thinking. I,
2: I don't. I don't do a lot of fast food, but one of my favorites is Wendy's spicy chicken filet. I can just think about it right now. My (laughs) mouth already watering. But I'm thinking, do I have to go at like 1045 or 1115? Because forget noon. I don't want to pay extra because it's noon and more people are in the drive through wanting also to get their spicy chicken filet.
1: So Wendy's recently invested $20 million into these new digital boards that allows them to change their prices in the snap of a finger. So here's my question. If you know this is happening and you see a line of cars 10, 15 deep, now I I might argue that I'm not staying in line anyway. Are you
2: going to Mickey D's instead?
1: But right, right? Because I'm seeing all the cars. I'm thinking, well, that's driving the price up right there. An event is driving the price up, that event being lunch or dinner.
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is a risk. They're hoping. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a bold experiment. It's it's what Uber has been doing for a while. I, I think Lyft does it too. Don't Yeah, Lyft oh, does Yeah, it. yeah Lyft sure does it do. too for sure. I mean, but it's a bold experiment for Wendy's to try this. But if it works, they're hoping that it will ultimately be profitable, but it could anger some people. And you you always have long-term customers, people who are just habit-driven who always go to Wendy's, or their thing is Burger King. So you don't want to alienate those people.
1: and eh, it's a risky move. So you can imagine, right, if this is a McDonald's thing, that their breakfasts, lunch, and dinners, just think meal times with all these places. My guess is that if Taco Bell did this, you might see a price surge after midnight. <laughs> right just sort of the thing. and guess what people might be very willing to pay it at that uh, yes, point Yes, or
2: people who aren't even paying attention to what the price is unfortunately at that time you know they're they're also talking about suggestive selling and so suggestive selling based on weather and i kind of got a kick out of that so it's like okay you mentioned the frosty so today it's a nice day right we've got these awesome temps it's feeling more like spring maybe they're saying you should pick up a Frosty, or if it's negative 10 degrees out, they're not asking you to buy the Frosty. So suggestive selling is also something that they're looking at to boost sales.
1: So AI strikes again. AI-enabled menu changes. You, you could literally be in the line at the drive-thru, turn around, ask your kids what they want, and you could turn back and the price could change on what you order. Like, things could happen that fast yeah. with this.
2: I, I, I don't personally love it, but um, I, I guess you just have to plan ahead. If you don't want to spend the extra price, and that's the same thing when it comes to surge pricing for Uber and Lyft. You just have to be smart about it. You just have to plan ahead and try to beat the rush.
1: You know what's interesting is that I don't know that pizza companies do this on the Super Bowl, right? I mean it's the day of pizza.
2: Well you want that pizza to be hot. It,
1: well, yes, but what I'm saying is they don't there's no upcharge for a pizza from your whatever place you like to get pizza from well, because it's a Super Bowl. But they could do it if they followed a similar model.
2: And you know what? It's totally possible. Then ten minutes, one o'clock. There's some board sitting around, and it's the Pizza Hut group thinking about doing surge pricing for Super Bowl. So you just you just put the idea in their minds. Yeah,
1: somewhere somebody's crunching numbers, somebody's and gonna be next. algorithms and trying to see if this works. Uh, Wendy's is going to begin testing this in 2025. Very next interested year. to see where it goes. Variable pricing for fast. Food. Interesting. Kristen Bry is in next with Spanning to State. A reminder that Brewers Baseball today can be heard on 94.5 ESPN beginning at 2 o'clock. We'll wrap up the program with some final thoughts. Check in with Kristen after this. It's 1251 on WTMJ. We're wrapping up Wisconsin's midday news on WTMJ, Kristen Bry stepping in for spanning the state. So uh, variable pricing at fast food, Kristen, listen to this.
6: Wendy's, the country's second
2: largest burger chain, announcing that starting next year, menu prices will fluctuate during the busiest times of day. Meaning you could be paying as much as a dollar more for that
5: Baconator during the lunch rush. Wendy's CEO announcing his company will spend $20 million on high-tech digital menu boards that can update prices in real time.
1: I If you want that Baconator, just go get the Baconator, right? But you may have to go at 10 o'clock if you want to pay a dollar less.
5: That's wild.
1: It's incredible, man. AI is striking again.
5: Because I
7: guess I understand if you go to a McDonald's in certain areas or a Wendy's in certain areas, like different geo locations sometimes have different prices
2: different times of day they're trying to make money it's a bold experiment we'll see if it works some people are bad i mean we already have people saying wendy's this sounds like a really dumb idea (laughs) so we don't know if it's gonna pay off yet
7: when what time of day do you think people are going to be the most desperate that they would be willing to spend five dollars more on their frosty
1: right so i think you know, it, I think meal times, right? I don't think about Wendy's for breakfast, but maybe they experiment with oh, that. Oh, yeah,
2: they want to do that.
1: But here's what I could see happening, right? You try and you you try and evade the noon hour or the six o'clock hour. So I'm going to go at ten forty-five, and everybody else goes at ten forty-five, and now you're paying more at ten forty-five for a baconator or a frosty or that chili. They have good chili at Wendy's. Do they? I like their chili. Is yeah, it
2: better than real chili?
1: Uh, well, it's just different. Okay. We'll put it that way. Real
2: chili is a classic. <laughs> Nothing's better than real chili, right? Especially if you're a Marquette student.
1: Yeah, especially if you like a bowl of salt. What do you.
2: <laughs> right. Tell us how you really feel, Greg. Oh, <laughs> right. no.